Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hi, welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Jeff Jowdy, your host for today's discussion on donor motivation. And joining us today, a real treat, is my friend and one of the leaders in the fundraising nonprofit profession that I hold in the highest esteem, Jim Anderson, partner of Goldbusters Consulting. Jim, welcome to the Beacon Podcast. Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for uh, offering the invitation. To our listeners who may not be familiar with Jim, he has more than 30 years of sales and training experience. And following a successful for-profit career, he transitioned into the nonprofit arena in 2005, specializing in marketing and brand strategy, multimedia production, board and organizational training, and executive coaching. And Jim serves as underwriting manager of counsel for KAWC Colorado River Public Media in Yuma, Arizona. He's a certified fundraising executive, AFP, Faculty Training Academy, distinguished graduate, and president of the Northern Arizona chapter of AFP. And he was honored by that chapter with its outstanding fundraising professional of the year distinction. He earned his bachelor's degree in broadcast management uh, from North Arizona University with dual minors in business administration and Spanish. Jim, thanks again for joining us. Que bueno. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So yeah, Jeff, you mentioned um, Faculty Training Academy. I mean, that was where you and I met. It was. That was a fun, fun experience, and uh, and uh, I've just appreciated the friendship ever since. So thanks. Yes. Yeah, ten years now. Um, back in Baltimore is when that that occurred. It, it it has been a very interesting ride along the ten years, and certainly an interesting past year. Uh, that indeed, indeed, it's, it's hard to believe it's been ten years. So neither of us have changed a bit. I might add, <laughs> um, in, in any regard, and. I'll tell you this, this topic is very exciting to me, uh, you know, donor motivation, donor motivation, because I always I hear oftentimes people talking about donor fatigue. And I like the, the concept of donor motivation better. So if you, if you would, Jim, and with your sales background, especially, you know, what are some types of donor motivation and how does a nonprofit uh, determine what motivates their donors? Well, there's it's not really that hard to, to determine what motivates your donors if you keep it in broad strokes, okay? And so I'll start by by talking about different types of donor motivations because what I'm gonna share is not just donor motivations, but human motivations. Because if you, I don't know, I'm assuming you're familiar with Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins? Yeah, well, Tony Robbins says that people only take action for two reasons. They take action to gain pleasure or to avoid pain. And so what do you think, Jeff? What are they more likely to do? Seek pleasure or avoid pain? Avoid pain. Absolutely. I mean, my doctor tells me I need to lose weight, tells me that my blood pressure is too high, tells me that I need to exercise. And, you know, back in the day when I exercised, back in high school, when I'm doing sports and things, I'm looking in the mirror, I'm pumping weights, I'm saying to myself, oh, Jim, you're going to look so good at the beach this week. You're going to look so good at the beach. These days, I don't think like that. These days, I'm riding an exercise bike and I'm thinking, I don't want to die from a stroke. I don't want to die from a stroke. (laughs) So the motivation for me in that circumstance was that avoidance of pain. So think about that as a top line way to process what your donors are giving, why they're giving. Are they seeking to gain pleasure because of the good that they do? Or are they seeking to avoid the pain of the guilt of inaction? Or is it some type of a hybrid? And likely it is 
for each of your donors. Because let's face it, we're all unique snowflakes. <laughs> okay, we we all have we all bring a lot, or there are a lot of things that go into what make us up as a person, and those experiences bring us into the this concept of what motivates donors. So I think the next thing I would touch on as we as I lead into that is this idea that people only buy or support things that they want or need. So what do you what do you think is a stronger motivator there? Do people take action do they buy something because they want to or because they need to? Want to. Want to. Well, okay. I I know that it's just you and me here, but I'm going to ask you to indulge me, Jeff. Look down at your shoes. Okay. Just yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yep. You know what? If we were together in a room with a group of people, I'd ask you to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd ask you to look not at your shoes, though, but at somebody else's shoes. Mm-hmm. And I would challenge you that if you were in a room with 100 people, it is unlikely that you see even two people that are wearing the same shoes. You know what? Mm-hmm. We all need shoes. Okay. Uh, we all need shoes, mm-hmm. but we buy the shoes we want. So yes, you were, you're definitely correct there, Jeff. We do, we buy what we want. And it comes back to that point of what gives you the greatest satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So different people are motivated by different things. And it's because it, it's based on what gives them the greatest satisfaction. I, I used to work with national research companies. And when I was fresh out of college, one week on the job, less than three weeks out of college, I'm flying to San Francisco for the first trip ever in my life to San Francisco. And my boss at the time says, we're going to take over the psychological motivation project or product from a competitor. We've outbid, we outbid them. We're going to take this. None of us know anything about this. You're fresh with the company. I want you to learn it better than anybody else. I want you to write all the training presentations, explain it to everybody, write the sales trainings, all this stuff. So I did. And now I can't get this out of my system. It's the, it's the values and lifestyle segmentation system. If our listeners would like to take the test, it's free. It's online. Just Google Val's test. It's 35 questions should take you five minutes. If it takes you more than five minutes, you're cheating. You're going (laughs) to skew the answers. Go with your gut instinct. But while we could do a whole day in this, maybe a couple of days, I'm going to break it down to the three primary motivations. People take action for one of three reasons. It is either because of their principles, or you could call them ideals. It is potentially because of status or motive or status or achievement, or it's because of action or emotion. So we've got three there that we're going to play with. So the easy way to think about this is somebody that is principle or ideals motivated, they are going to make their decisions based on what is good or what is right. And they're making that decision based on deeply learned and literally interpreted intellectual and moral values. And so, so Jeff, where do you learn your values? Where does a person learn their values? Depending on the individual, probably primarily through their family, their parents, their religious affiliation, if there is one. Sure. Friends, social networks, experiences in life, all these things are where your values come from. And so if you're dealing with somebody who's principally or ideals motivated, they are going to be making those decisions based on those core values for them. And it's easy to know if you're dealing with a a, a, um, principal motivated person because of their language, because a principal motivated person knows what you should do and what you shouldn't do. What you should have done, what you shouldn't have done, they will should all over you given the opportunity. (laughs) Okay, you know who those people are who are always telling you about the should. But nonprofits are are very, I guess they're very to be able to, to say that the majority of nonprofit donors tend to follow 
charitable donors, philanthropic donors tend to fall into that category, principle and ideal, but not all of them do. And I'm going to give you a quick litmus test after I go through these three to, to determine just how uh, how you might do a quick test to see who you're dealing with. So let's talk about status or achievement. Okay, status or achievement motivated individuals are deeply role conscious. Okay, it is what is their role? What is their role in their family? What is their role in their community? What is their role at work? What is their role if they if they are um, a churchgoers? Where do where do they rank in the church? Uh, sometimes these people are climbing that ladder of success. Sometimes they they haven't achieved success, but they're striving for it. They're trying to get there. And keep in mind that these are individuals that will often be transactional donors for you. If they're looking for status or achievement, you need to recognize that there are certain donors that want their name on something. They want the plaque. They want the donor recognition. And these are definitely going to be people that are status or achievement oriented. Your principal or ideals motivated people sometimes don't care about that stuff at all. But one core group to think about from a, from a nonprofit's perspective is sponsors. Every sponsor that you ever deal with, regardless of how philanthropic they are as an individual, regardless of that, they have to act like a status or achievement motivated person because the decisions they make are being impact are impacting others. They might have business partners, they might have shareholders, they might have corporate heads that they've got to um, that they've got to justify their actions for. So keep in mind that you always have to show value because they are looking at this from a transactional perspective or from their role within their organization. And and that brings up an important point that every gift you ever ex ever receive as a nonprofit exists on that spectrum from pure transaction, like the folks I'm describing now, to pure philanthropy. Your goal often is to make that connection with somebody who's transactional and get them to care about your cause, get them to move over to become more philanthropic. So I'll move on to the action and emotion motivated. I told you that your principal and ideals motivated folks are, are making decisions based on um, what is good or what is right. Your status or achievement will make their decisions based on what looks good or what looks right. And then finally, your action or emotion motivated will make their decision based on what feels good or what feels right. Okay, these folks are going to be hands-on. They want to make an immediate impact. They want to feel something. The, these are going to be the folks that if there is a disaster or a crisis, they will do text to give five bucks. They'll do it once and they may never give to you again. Uh, so, But think about that. These are folks that want to feel as though they've had an immediate action. So if you're wanting to appeal to them, how can you show them that what they're doing makes a difference right now? Your, your principal and ideals motivated folks, those folks will be in it with you for the long term. These action or emotion motivated, they're short term. So you want to be careful with them and you want to, you want to understand that because they can be very valuable to you. And um, a lot of your younger donors are going to fall into that category because of um, just their general perceptions about philanthropy. They want to give, they want to make an impact and it needs to be personal for them. So we had what is good, what looks good. Uh, so what do you think uh, these folks are, Jeff? What do you think their three words will be? If, if we have what is good and we have what looks good, what are our action and emotion motivated folks going to say? What Stumped. feels good. Oh, it feels good. Feels grief. good. Yep. There you go. So I told you I'd give you a quick litmus test as to um, how to um, determine who you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So how do you know who your donor is? It's real easy. 
First, you can look at the, your clause overall. And if you're looking at a broad, large database, you won't be able to break this down individually. But what you want to do is you, you look at your database and you think about why it is that most people are giving. What type of feedback do you get? And so then you start thinking, what's the language that you hear from your donors? And you can determine who it is that makes up the preponderance of your donors. You might have a pretty good guess already based on what your organization is. You know, environmental causes, you're probably talking your action and emotion people, okay? education, health fair, feed those in need, veterans, those type of organizations, you're probably more principal or ideals. But here's an easy way to, to tell if you are talking to an individual or if you can create a persona in your head of one donor you know, ask yourself, well, what motivates them? Ask what they would do in this scenario. So if you were throwing a special event, you're putting on a nonprofit, uh, nonprofit event, fundraising event. And I know that that seems like we'll never do it again because of pandemic, but we will. We're going to do those again. It might just be smaller at first. But anyway, if you're putting on a special event and you're thinking about this donor who wants to convince somebody else to come along with them. So what would, I mean, a principal or an ideals motivated person, if they're talking to somebody and they want them to come along with them, they're going to say things like, well, we really should go. They're, they're really a good organization. They're doing so much with so little there. We need to go help Mary. We need to go help John. This is important to our community. They provide a service. We should support them. Okay. So if that is the way your donor would get somebody else to come along, their principal or ideals. But if you're talking to somebody who's whose status or achievement motivated, that's not what they're going to say. They're going to say things like, well, we have to go. We have to go. The mayor is going to be there. I'm getting my photo with the coach this time. I better be sitting at the senator's table. You know, it's, we have to go. The Joneses are going to be there. We have to go. <laughs> okay. So, so that's your status or achievement. Then you've got your action or emotion. So your action and your emotion are going to be different even again. So if they're trying to convince somebody else to go, they're going to say things like, it's going to be awesome. There's going to be, there's going to be a dunking booth and we get to wash the dogs and there'll be a ring toss for wine. It's going to be so much fun. They've got this great band. The buffet is going to be amazing. We, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. So if you think back to it in those three levels, what motivates donors? It's either the principles or it's status or it's emotion. So that is in a nutshell what this VAL system will do, psychological consumer profiling. I love that. What great, great insight. And Jim, there's a lot of discussion about in our field about donor motivation. And what are some misconceptions about that are still out there about why donors give? Oh, I would say all of them. <laughs> well, I mean, it's always a misconception if the donor you're specifically trying to appeal to, if you are sending the wrong message and the wrong communication to them. But if I was going to if I was going to paint broader strokes, I would say some of the conceptions are people give because it's the end of the year and they want their tax write off. OK, not so much anymore. With changes in tax laws, it's harder and harder for people to get itemized deductions. Many people didn't want to in the first place. They didn't give because it was the end of the year. They gave it because they were procrastinating and they were trying to check something off their list before it was too late. It wasn't, it, and you know, that's one of these things. Another one would be that they give because you tell them that this is something that you need. They don't give because you need it for something you want, unless it's a tangible thing that they can believe that they are truly supporting and making a meaningful gift 
towards that achievement. But when you're when you're talking to your donors, you obviously want to be talking to them, as my friend Tom Ahern would say, from the from the you perspective. You know, what is it that they are doing? What is it that you, the donor, is doing? Not what it what that gift means specifically to you as the organization, because ultimately you, the organization, you are just a conduit. You are there to help the donor achieve their goals of serving or providing support for a person or a cause or a group that they believe in. So misconceptions about why donors give, it, it is those things. And I guess I'll toss back in since we were talking um, about donor motivations earlier. It's recognition. There's lots of donors that don't care about the recognition. They are uh, accomplished individuals. They don't need the pat on the back or the affirmation from you. They need communication that what they've done is recognized and appreciated and you provide them good donor stewardship after that. But a lot of people don't care about that recognition. So keep in mind that um, a lot of times what fundraisers will do is they'll come up with a great pitch that will that they think is awesome because it appeals to them. Okay. You're not asking you to give. You're asking somebody else to give. So get out of your own shoes and think about it from the donor's perspective. And that's how you communicate. And that's uh, that's your message. And that should be the programs you're asking support for. Great. Thank you, Jim. And, and introduce, introducing you discussed your sales background. And I think that's uh, from my perception, at least, I could be wrong, but I think you are certainly uh, fearless and enthusiastic and some attributes that more of our colleagues and uh, in the profession should have when it comes to sharing about their mission. What can fundraisers learn from sales about donor motivation? A tremendous amount, because everything that I know about fundraising, I learned from sales. Until I met Alice Ferris, um, many of your listeners will know Alice Ferris from so many different things and a lot of um, a lot of online educational ex- conferences throughout the world in the past year. But Alice is the founding partner of Goldbusters, and when she and I started working together, what is now 16 years ago, when we started working together, we were working at a public radio station, and we had occasion to travel to some nearby communities. And as we're on these little road trips, we have conversations. She would teach me about fundraising, and I would teach her about marketing and communication and psychological consumer profiles and things. And along the way, she she realized it before I did that everything that I did as a salesperson, almost everything that I did as a salesperson applied to fundraising. Because if you think about ultimately what you're trying to do as a fundraiser, you are trying to persuade someone to take an action. And in the case of fundraising, you're trying to get them to do something completely illogical, okay? You're, you want them to give you money when they don't have to, all right? Sales has an advantage because they've got a product. You give me the money, I give you this thing. You as a nonprofit don't always have that same advantage. And so when you're, you're thinking about what that, that art of persuasion, I think my first comment I would make as I talk about salespeople is that the best salespeople really aren't selling, okay? I've trained literally hundreds of salespeople, um, generally media salespeople, television, radio, outdoor, advertising, sports franchises, all this stuff. I've trained all of these people. And what I always wanted to remind them is you are not selling something. You are a consultant serving that client to help them achieve their goals. And in doing so, they will they will buy from you and, and they will believe and trust in you. How is that different 
than helping a donor achieve their goals towards support and making an impact in their community and in the world. It's the same thing. You're not trying to convince them to do something they don't want to do. You're trying, you should be listening to them to find out what's important to them. And if you do that, then you will know whether or not what you're doing is something that they would be interested in. Odds are they should be because you wouldn't be talking to them unless you totally miscalculated the relationship and interest. But then you think about what is it that's important to them? What would they want to support? And, and then you find that match and you help become that person that empowers them to do good. That's ultimately what you're doing. And I think an, another thing that that sales are that fundraisers could learn from salespeople, a couple of things. I'll give you, I think I'll give you two. I think we have time for two. One of them would be never say no for your donor. Okay. I have had so many salespeople that told me, I don't want to go talk to that business because they're just going to say no. And here's why. And I would tell them, never say no for your for your client because you don't know what their circumstances are until you've talked to them until you've had this conversation until you learn more about them so that's something that's really important during pandemic so many fundraisers out there unfortunately are saying i shouldn't go talk to them right now because times are hard not necessarily times are not hard for everybody and your wealthiest donors those with the most means are making bank right now so if you're not out there actively asking for support, you are doing a disservice to your organization and therefore a disservice to those you serve. So you should couch your message. If you are putting out a broad appeal, you should let people know that if they are uncertain about their, their, their future or if they are already suffering, that they should not give to you and you're going to continue to do the work but remind the people who can that they should and that perhaps they should do a little more to help support those um, the interest of those who can't give right now. And the other thing that I think I'll end with here, or at least I think I'm ready to end with it, is you really need to understand the difference between advances and continuances. In the world of sales, you have this concept of advances versus continuances. And I see it all the time in fundraising, all the time. So I'll give you a quick example. I would go into a meeting or actually um, go into this meeting, have a great meeting, come out of the meeting, standing at the elevator with the person that I'm training. I'm standing at the elevator and the person is basically jumping up and down like a happy puppy. They're just, that was so awesome. It was great. We were only supposed to be there a half hour. It went 45 minutes. That was great. That was great. And, and I'd look at him and I'd say two things. First, never show overt emotion with, when, with, when you're within eyesight of the person you just met with, either good or bad. Second thing, I will tell you when we're two blocks away in the car. <laughs> We'd be two blocks away in the car and the person would turn to me, what's the matter? It was a great meeting. They loved us. It was, so, it was fabulous. They really liked us. They really loved us. So much fun. We laughed. I said, they loved us before we walked in there. Tell me what's happening next. Well, I said, you're, that's right. We accomplish nothing in that meeting because we don't know what happens next. So if you're in that situation and you think you've had a great meeting with somebody, but you were supposed to get them to take some kind of action, you failed because a continuance is when there is no next steps. You're just where you were when you walked in that, that meeting or had that donor meeting. An advance, however, requires three very specific things. And an advance requires that an action will happen, that the other person will take that action, and that there is a deadline or a date that that action will happen by. If you do not have those three things, you do not have an advance, and you're probably right where you were before. So if you were, if you were issuing a proposal to a large donor or perhaps a corporate sponsor, and you hand them that proposal, and they say, oh, 
thanks. This has been a great meeting. I'll look this over and I'll get back to you. Guess what? You're dead in the water. Okay. They're not probably going to pick up the phone and call you. But, but if in that same situation, they said they'll look it over and get back to you, you respond, well, if I haven't heard from you by Thursday, is it okay to give you a call? Oh yeah, go ahead and check in with me. Then just, just to make it easier, would you rather I call you in the morning or the afternoon? Oh, mornings are pretty busy. Why don't you give me a call in the afternoon? Okay. So you've just got them to agree to take your next call. That's your step that's going to happen. They've agreed to it. So that is the next step and they've agreed to it. And you've got a date that it's going to happen by. That's an advance and that moves you forward. So Jeff, if we had more time, I could go down the road of a lot of other things that fundraisers could learn from, from uh, sales. But I think, let me finish with one last thing. Always be honest. Even if you don't have the right answer, even if it's painful, even if it's embarrassing, always be honest because people remember that. People will come back to somebody who's authentic and they can believe that they can trust. But if you're trying to candy coat things or if you're trying to hide something, you know, hide the warts or whatever, um, somebody's going to reveal it and they're going to think that they can't trust you and then they won't. So that's the last thing that I would say is that just lay it out on the table. Be completely honest. You don't have to tell them about your most recent failed relationship, but almost anything else. <laughs> oh, I love it, Jim. Thank you for your insight on donor motivation. And, and, and I know you have more to share. And if you're willing, we're going to have you back. So I just appreciate you so much. To our listeners, be sure to keep up with Jim by following him on Twitter at Goldbusters Jim, and uh, be sure to check out goldbusters.net. Again, Jeff Gowdy here, uh, your host for this edition of the Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. Thanks for listening to the Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcast and guest at lighthousecouncil.com.